Canuck Central Thursday, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah with you. This is a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service, expert advice, waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. A lot going on. We'll keep an eye on the playoff games, the elimination games that are happening tonight, including the Leafs and Lightning, four games on the NHL sched. And we'll get to Irfan Gaffar, Peter Labardius, and Mike DeFabo covering the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, a lot to get to here on this program, as there always is, on a rainy Thursday afternoon, Sat. Uh, never a shortage of topics to discuss, and especially when it comes to the head coach, Bruce Boudreaux. So, um, you know what? We can either talk about the rain, or we can talk about <laughs> Bruce Boudreaux, so... I, I, I won't be that down and talk about the rain all day. I'll try not to be, at least. What, what, what have we had more of, Boudreaux discussions or rain the past six weeks? <laughs> Probably Boudreaux, <laughs> if we're being fair about it. Hey, hey, the weather, the weather has been really poor since the Canucks did a 180 and didn't uh, fully commit to Bruce Boudreaux. So, so maybe them not committing to Bruce, there it is, is the reason we're having this kind of karma. God is telling us something. <laughs> Kidding aside, uh, 650, 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can always chime in there for our live listeners, always on podcasts as well, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So with Bruce Boudreaux, it's a really interesting spot here, Sat, and the longer it goes on, the more it kind of grows into something. At first, we didn't know if it was something it felt like there was nothing and now well over a week later it definitely feels like something is going on now the latest of course Rob Simpson was first to report that Boudreaux and have that first interview to say there's just a few things to iron out hopefully have it all done by next week here is uh, what Elliot Friedman had to say on the Jeff Merrick show earlier as to how he's viewing this current situation. I do think he probably would have some options. Like, I think the one thing that's kind of thrown a wrench into it for a lot of people is Trotz, right? Yes, Like, yes. I think Trotz is probably the number one guy on a lot of lists. And, you know, we probably have to wait to see what what he decides to do and, and what he's going to figure out for himself here. So that mm. adds to, I think, all of it. But, you know, generally, I look at it like, you know, Bob McCowan's old advice, which was don't bleep with happy. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I know that, oh, look, uh, it's gotten sideways here, and I know not everybody not everybody's really happy with each other, but it was a, a good thing, and I think you have to, I think you just have to find a way here if you're everybody involved. Just sit down, talk it out, hammer it out, find a way. And I think there's some hard feelings on some of the things that have been reported and said, I get it. You know, everybody say your piece to everybody else and just sort it out. So there is uh, Elliot Friedman. Uh, negotiations are never easy, Sat. That's uh, one thing we're, we're finding out with this uh, Bruce Boudreaux situation. <laughs> it, it's, it's like a, a peak and valley, it seems like, all around with these discussions around Boudreaux. And, uh, so... Trying to piece all this together, what did I, I mention yesterday that I think these final minor details and stuff really comes down to filling out the staff and those sort of things. The question here, and this is kind of one of the things that you know we've kind of wondered overall, is 
what happened before management said, yeah, we're not offering you an extension because there was so much buzz and we were hearing this. And I think a lot of it came from the Boudreaux camp that there was optimism. Both sides want to get something done and that an extension could be in work. And I think that Boudreaux's camp was really hopeful that a discussion, a extension would be on the table. And they really thought that it wouldn't be hard for them to figure something like that out. And I do think there was probably, and this is me, you know, not reporting, guessing probably a little bit of, um, they were probably taken aback a little bit when it said, Hey, yeah, we'll bring you back, but we're not offering you an extension. And so I think some of the stuff that we heard a few weeks before, uh, a decision was made was really optimism as opposed to actual uh, concrete offers, say, being made extension-wise by management. I think that kind of took Boudreaux and his camp back a little bit and uh, clearly ruffled their feathers a bit. Now, is it enough for them to walk away? Clearly not. Boudreaux wants to be back, but it's been made uncomfortable enough that it's dragging on a bit longer than everybody wants. Well, it it is interesting that... um... There is a wait until next week sort of timeline on this, as Boudreaux has put it in uh, the couple of interviews he did over the last 24 hours, because what happens over the next week, Sat? Well, over the next week... A few more teams are eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, and especially teams that he has an eye on, say a team like Toronto. Now, sometimes uh, a, a player or a coach may be more optimistic about their future as opposed to how other teams view them. Because <laughs> may, maybe Boudreaux's yeah. like, yeah, you know what? I love to coach Toronto. But then at the same time, if Dubas remains, is that really the type of coach they'd go after? You does not quite fit the Dubas mold, does it? It, it doesn't really. And, and yeah, you're right. It might be uh, hopeful uh, on, on Boudreaux's part, but he, he's got time and he's allowed to use that, whether that's with a, a potential playoff team having a co- coaching opening or as some of the current teams with openings continue to go through their process. Also over the next week, you know, we talked with Kevin Woodley yesterday. Barry Trotz is, he, his sense is that Barry Trotz is leaning towards sitting out a year and just collecting his paycheck from the New York Islanders before deciding what his next step is. Earlier this week, Pierre Lebrun, after the firing happened, said, Barry Trotz is likely to just take the week to figure himself out and whether he whether or not he actually wants to coach next year or if he wants to maybe go into management or take a different direction for the next 12 months. So as long as the Barry Trotz sort of uh, situation is also hanging in the balance, now there could be more opportunity or more aggression from teams with openings to go after a name like Boudreaux while that is ongoing. Now, uh, that's all purely speculation, but I can only imagine Boudreaux is feeling as though allowing time to pass maybe strengthens his part of the, the negotiation in all of this. Well, the only thing it strengthens potentially is him finding another destination because once this runs out. Let's say, for instance, we get to June 1st and Boudreaux hasn't committed and the option does not get picked up. They're not coming back to him. (laughs) They're moving on. So, I mean, and listen, we don't know. And again, they they may get something done here in in a couple of days. And by Monday, it's all, you know, hunky-dory. Nobody really cares or whatever. But 
the Canucks aren't going to be in a position where Boudreaux is going to take the entire month and then still not make a decision, and they're going to wait for him. Like They're going to move on if Boudreaux walks us all the way to June 1st. And the fact that it's not wrapped up by next week, to me, the, the cause for concern would be if this isn't wrapped up by next week. Yeah. Then it's like, okay, what are we really waiting for here? Now you're through May 15. Yeah, technically you have two weeks left. At that point, it just seems like Boudreaux's looking at hoping that somebody comes and offers him something better. And, for instance, if Vegas was all that interested, would they have not reached out already? Yeah. They probably I mean, would have. So it seems like they're not a team that's going to be hiring him. Teams that miss the playoffs clearly don't seem to be in on him right now outside of maybe Philly. But we talked about Philly. Is that a better destination for you outside of just proximity to where you live and all that sort of stuff? So, I mean, as much as we're sitting here and talking about options, I'm not sure there are a ton of options for Bruce Boudreaux. It's uh, it's really fascinating. That, that That's the one thing about this. It's like, yeah, okay, uh, it, it should get b- done by next week and everybody's feeling good about it, Zach. But until it's done, like, after how it played out, as you mentioned earlier, going into the end-of-season news conferences, after it played out opposite to the way a lot of us felt it would, mm-hmm. I am not overly confident about this until it's actually done and dusted and in in paper, all the all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. I, I like there's some skepticism for some reason. There is a holdup here, and until it's actually done, I think there has to be some level of wonder as to why exactly that is. Well, I mean, clearly there has to. I mean, if if you don't have any sort of question marks, then I don't think you're being truthful to how the situation is kind of unfolding here. There, There is clearly something somewhat amiss. Now, I don't think there's this massive gulf, and I still expect Boudreaux to come back, but how much of this is hurt feelings that just have to kind of take some time? Because if you're Boudreaux, all of us are kind of assuming, yeah, of course, everything he's done, not only does he deserve to be back, he probably deserves a contract extension. How do you think he felt? I mean, this has to at least to some degree be a hit to his ego, the fact that he's not being offered a contract extension. Now, at the end of the day, he'll probably suck it up and show up and do his job and it'll be fine. But when we're talking about egos, no matter who you are as an individual, sometimes those things take a little bit of time just for you to kind of tell yourself that everything's going to be all right. It's uh, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. It's uh, one of these things that as long as it's open, as long as the door is open, you wonder what is it. Now, you mentioned yesterday when the story started to come out with uh, Rob Simpson, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that maybe needed to iron, needed to be ironed out could be coaching staff. And if Bruce is able to bring in... Uh, one of his own guys or a couple, whatever that may be. Elliot uh, kind of referred to that as well today. Maybe that is one of the things that needs to be ironed out. But uh, until we know for sure, um, this this front office has been able to keep things pretty tight, as we've seen in their short time here so far. The only thing you worry about is this going off the rails. And at what point will it go off the rails where you have to move forward? Like, does this uncertainty behind the bench at some point impact what happens with Kuzmenko? Does it impact that to any degree? I mean, so far, Boudreaux was there in the interview. Um, So far, Kuzmenko's agent, Dan Milstein's come out and said it's going to take a few weeks to figure out anyways. And Vancouver's, you know, a finalist and all that sort of stuff. So maybe it doesn't. But the only way this goes off the rails is if it impacts business, the Canucks are trying to do. Does this impact? 
the Kuzmenko thing? Does it get in the way of them trying to do something different? That's when things are going to get cut off. I don't think we're there yet. That's just the question of when do you get to that point? Um, we'll see how this plays out over the next couple of days and certainly into next week as now we do have a timeline from Bruce Boudreaux as to when uh, this should be done. We'll see if that actually stays true to that. You know, the going off the rails part, uh, other than Kuzmenko, I'm not sure there is something, you know, that you would wonder, like, how could this really be a bad turnout for the Vancouver Canucks? They lose Boudreaux. They move on to a different coach. Maybe Patrick Alvin brings in the guy that he envisioned for the position or something to that effect, but potentially losing out on a key free agent signing, you know, that would be to me where this materially affects the team on the ice because of, of what's gone on here. Yeah. I mean, that's when you can see from the team's perspective, they're like, you know what? We got to move on here because now this indecision is costing us and we can't do this anymore. And then the feelings become rationally hard. You know what I mean? Like you're, yeah. you're justified in, in, in not feeling good about how things are going. So far, it's just kind of talk. And I'm not honestly too worried about it. I'm not too concerned about it. The only other potential thing to consider is – does Boudreaux want any sort of assurance for what the team's going to look like? Which I don't think he can get in June when free agency and the draft isn't until July. So I've seen that be mentioned. You know, does he need assurances that JT Miller's not being traded or something like this or that or whatever? I don't think you can make that type of promise in June to, or in May to Bruce Boudreaux until you have everything figured out. So I don't think that is part of the equation here. Yeah, it's the, the other one thing that I think of is. Um the relationship with the analytics department. When when Jim Rutherford was in Pittsburgh, they were known to be among the league leaders in how they used their numbers team, if you will. Uh, is Boudreaux a skeptic to that? Is he less responsive to that sort of thing? I would doubt that just given, you know, in our conversations with him and when he spoke with the media, he would often reference uh, cer- certain things like high danger chances, but you know, mm-hmm. a lot of analytics can come down to much more minute details than than just that. Oh, I mean, yes, I mean those sort of things to me are are just the the minor sort of things to to kind of overcome and all that sort of stuff. Like that to me, it isn't a, a massive massive part of the equation here. And when I look at Jim Rutherford and just looking at his history and everything that he's done, having an open mind, I think is what he wants more than anything else. It doesn't mean that you have to be convinced. It doesn't mean you have to do everything they say. Do you just have an open mind to a different perspective? Can you sit here and discuss different things? And that's all you need to do. Doesn't mean you jump into it, but how much of an open mind do you have? And that's Rutherford's MO more than anything else. So if, if he believes or encounters people that don't, aren't open to certain things, I don't think that's the type of person he'd like to have there long term. 
I don't think Boudreaux himself may be enamored with the analytics, but I don't think he's opposed to using them. I think it's more about how do you relay the message to him that he understands it and understands how to apply it. And I think that's the biggest thing that sometimes a team has to figure out. It's like, yeah, okay, this guy's not into the analytics, doesn't quite understand it. How do we sell him on it? How do we make it easier for him to understand and applicable? And that's, I think, part of the onus on a good analytical department and a good front office to be able to bridge that gap with a coach that may have some level of skepticism towards that sort of thing. So to me, that sort of stuff can get worked out with him because I do believe the coaching staff in general was using analytics fairly well. Like I think for the PK specifically, I am under the understanding that, you know, Bradshaw and the PK really use analytics to come up with the power kill and do certain things that were suggested by the analytics department. So I don't think this coaching staff was against using analytics. I think it's more about how do we broaden that for next season? Um, It's going to be something we talk about a little bit more with Irfan Gaffar coming up after 4.30. So let's uh, shelve the conversation on that specific topic for this very moment. The Stanley Cup playoffs have been fascinating, Sat, as they usually are. But you know, the two series that um, are going on tonight, you know, the Leafs and the Lightning, also the Edmonton Oilers and the LA Kings. Two big storylines of that series has been why aren't the stars playing more? The Leafs being able to get Matthews out there more often, especially with all of the penalties that have been called in that series. And if you look at Edmonton's time on ice, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are playing around 20 minutes a night. They are not in the top 10 of most used forwards so far in the Stanley Cup playoffs. They were 2-3 and three during the regular season both around 22 minutes on average per night. So they got used quite a bit by Dave Tippett and also by Jay Woodcroft. JT Miller was 11th most in the league during his time under Bruce Boudreaux, right around that 20-minute mark. Elias Pettersson was down around 18.5 per night. It's really small details, but the question I have as this has become more of a conversation here is how much should your star star forwards be playing in a game? Well, I mean, as much as you need to win a hockey game. Yeah. And especially in the postseason, I think it's, it's as simple as that. And I would say for all the discussion around Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid and, and their ice time, it is small samples. And I think when you look at, you know, a five or six game sample, it's it's really easy to look at it and say, man, you know, he's not playing as much. But if you break it down, Austin Matthews in close games was playing over 20 minutes. The games he didn't play a ton or less than 20 was, well, the game they lost 7-3 against Tampa, which was game four, and that game was essentially over after the first period. And when they beat Tampa 5 nothing in the first game, and he had under 17 minutes. Yeah. So, you know, he played 23, he played 22, played almost 21. And Connor McDavid, similar. I mean, in the games where they, they shellacked the Kings 8-2 and 6 nothing, he played under 17 minutes. But all the other games, it was 20 minutes or more. So I would be careful with some of the noise in these discussions but I, I'd rather you run your top guys into the ground in the postseason and you lose because they got nothing left than you leaving some value on the table and losing in the first round. 
you can't go into the playoffs trying to save your guys for a long playoff run. You got to play your guys as much as you have to to win the hockey games. That's what it comes down to more than anything for me. Well, one of the things that happened was, you know, if you look at McDavid and Drysaddle in the last game against LA, Jay Woodcroft really didn't start to go to them heavily until the third period. Mm-hmm. You know, is that something you've got to make the adjustment earlier in the game, especially with how poor they played through the first half of it? You know, once they got to the third period, you know, those guys were playing shorthanded. They were playing everything because you are just so desperate. And for Edmonton specifically tonight, you know, you are up against elimination. How do you play your forwards in that situation? Go to it in the first period. Woodcroft hasn't been a guy that's gone McDavid and Dreisaitl since he's took took over this job, he has separated them and tried to balance the Oilers out. That worked for a lot of the regular season when they were going and they had Kane scoring and they had, you know, other guys. Ryan Nugent Hopkins had a really strong finish to the year. Kyler Yamamoto started going. They had all of these different things working, but guess what? Playoffs are a different story. And it's not working as much. And so I, I wonder, you know, how much do you change your strategy? similar to a baseball team going up against elimination in a playoff series, you are emptying the bullpen. You're going to every arm that you trust the most in that game because there is no tomorrow. So that would be the thing that I change the most is not just like deployment over the entire game, but even let's say early in the game where specifically for the Edmonton series, First goal wins has been the story of the series. Edmonton's got to get that first goal, and they've got to have a stronger first period tonight. Well, they do, and because the postseason is all about what is your advantage and how much, how often can you exploit that advantage until you can't anymore. It's not about getting cute. It's not about thinking about big picture. It's not about how do I balance my lines. It's simply how do I build a team? How do I build up my roster and a strategy to make the least amount of mistakes possible and then have an advantage that I can replicate as much as possible? Yeah, it, it might be too simplistic. Just load up your best players together. Don't overthink it. If the Oilers lose this series, a lot of it is going to fall on Woodcroft, and that's why it does fall on coaching a lot of the time, too. To me, it's not so much about how much ice time a guy gets. That that comes down to the game and situationally. But are you giving your guys the best chance with the combos that you use? Mm-hmm. And in the postseason, you go with Drysaddle and McDavid together until you don't win hockey games anymore. That's when you change it up. You never separate your best asset and then go back to it when it's not working. Start with what you do best and then adjust from that point on. The uh, One of the things about Matthew's usage, you, you brought up the 7-3 game where they were getting blown out down uh, 3-0 that first, end up 5 nothing early in the second. They had a ton of penalties in that first period. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems there is as uh, you know the snowball is growing, your best player is barely getting on the ice because the team has just taken penalty after penalty after penalty. Do you make the adjustment and just say, "All right, Austin, let's uh, let's get a PK shift out of you." That's that's something I think you know. It, mm-hmm. Look, little details, but hey, they matter in a, in a in a playoff series where every win means so much. Well, and and that's kind of where where it's at for me. And there's too much overthinking things oftentimes in the postseason. And I think the coaches that have the most success are the ones that make it as simple as possible for you to get your advantage. And 
when, when I'm looking at teams that have their success, that's usually what they do. And if you get caught in a situation like this, where which is a bit unforeseen with this many penalties being called in the postseason, to your point, then get your guys out on the PK a little bit. you got to get them involved into the game a bit more. And I think Sheldon Keefe's done a good job in that sense. But if you want to criticize him for, for one thing, it would be something like that, is don't let your top guys get cold on the bench. It is Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Coming up, Irfan Gaffar will be joining us. He of the fourth period. Get some uh, Canucks talk in with him and some playoff talk as well. It is Canucks Central. We are presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advisor waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Uh, one of the storylines out of last night we'll be following. Uh, we're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins more after 5.30 an hour two of the show. But uh, Sidney Crosby's hurt, Sat. What what did you think of the hit by Truba on Crosby that obviously goes unsus- unsuspended? It's an awkward hit. And, you know, I wanted to be mad at Truba about it because I was so upset about Crosby being injured. And I kept watching it over and over again. And the bias in me wanted to be outraged and blame it on something. I don't know. Like, it's it's an awkward it's an awkward collision. doesn't seem like that's what... Uh, Truett was trying to do. I think the league got it right. I mean, it sucks, but just because it's Crosby getting hurt doesn't mean you have to force discipline. I think you have to think about it because it is Jacob Truba. Like, is it a dirty hit or is it just a thunderous hit, which he's known for? Uh, Maybe a little bit of both. He did have an elbow, I think, in one of the first shifts of the game that was also pretty questionable and on Jake Gensel. So, you know, it's, it's not totally out of character for Truba to go a little bit offside. No, it's. Not, I mean, I think these are two separate things. It's number one, what is his history? What is his reputation? And what occurred on this play? Yeah. And I think all those things are true. And if you want to label Trubo dirty player, I think you absolutely can. And if you want to say that he should have been penalized earlier, I think that's absolutely true. I just don't think that hit was an egregious hit. Like, Crosby comes in. He's trying to avoid the hit. He mm-hmm. he ends up trying to move around, and obviously Truba's trying to slow him down, and ends up with awkwardly hitting him in the face. But the way Truba's arm hits, or elbow, or like forearm, kind of hits uh, Crosby in the face. That's not that's not how you try to hit somebody in the face. You know what I mean? Like it was an unnatural type of movement, which to me shows a bit of a freak incident. Uh, we've had a couple of these situations uh, in the playoffs too. Sam Bennett uh, getting hit by. Um... TJ Oshie, but it was more on Bennett for how his yeah. face was positioned and just kind of running himself into the shoulder of TJ Oshie. Unfortunate. Uh, it's one of those things that's just going to happen in a hockey game. Let's bring in our next guest, Irfan Gaffar of the fourth period. What do you think of the Truba hit on Crosby? Uh, if it didn't to happen, I, first of all, you hope Sidney Crosby's okay. Yeah. If it didn't happen to Crosby, we're not talking about it as much. Yeah. Fair enough. I, like, that happens to John Marino. We're not. I mean, maybe we're talking about it, but not as much. And and I think that look, it's tough. I mean, they slowed it down a million times, and it just. I don't think Truba went for for a headshot. Like if you go for a headshot, you kind of know it. But his arm was out. The stick is trying to make a play, and I don't know. It's weird. But I mean, the first and foremost is the game sucks without Crosby in it, and he's been having a wicked playoff. So you hope he's okay, obviously, for his future, and everyone knows his concussion history but i don't really have a problem with the hit i understand why people do but i, I don't think i do at all so i'm with you on that like i i, I wanted 
to be mad at Truba. I wanted yeah. there to be something. I kept watching for it, and I wanted to be outraged, but I, I just couldn't. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, it, yeah. it, is what it, it sucks. I mean, I'm with you. Like, I, I, I was so excited about how Crosby was playing in the first round. Dad and I were, like, fanboying over, you know, Crosby and what he's doing against the Rangers and what he could, could do the rest of these po- these playoffs because as good as Connor McDavid is, I think he's the best player on the planet. You can talk about Matthews, all that sort of stuff, but – do you still pick against Crosby if you have to choose no, one you can. player to win a You can, right? You can't bet against Crosby. And even the rest of that team, him, Latang, and Malkin. Like, you just can't. I know Malkin really hasn't done much, but you still can't. Irfan Gaffar, our guest. So um, what's your read of uh, what's going on with Bruce Boudreaux right now? He's hanging out at home answering the phone. <laughs> <laughs> what? He's not, not talking. Thought, was that yeah. not what he's doing? <laughs> well, it's that's, true. I mean, that's a very literal assessment, yes. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not on cameo. Um, or, or or is is that how you reach him through oh cameo? God. I'm not getting into that. But uh, no, I, look, I, I think that I just like, talking to a few people. Like, I just don't understand how you don't bring him back. I'm not, and even maybe extend him, even if there's something so bad that's going on. Like, do you really have an idea of another guy that's going to come in? as potentially another head coach were probably going to want a little bit more money than Bruce Boudreaux does if it's one of the guys that's out there right now. Or do you have another guy that's somewhere in the American Hockey League or, or an assistant coach on another team that you believe can come do things and change, change things systematically and structurally and everything that's going to do well in, in one season? Like, you had some progress at the end of the year with Bruce Boudreaux. Why do you not want to raise the bar and, and, and keep going? Like, what are we, what as an organization and, and as a fan base, what are you trying to accomplish here? Are you trying to just build or are you trying to make the playoffs? And I think that right now they've got good pieces that are there. We've seen what this team can do. And why not bring in a guy who clearly the players have played for him. Clearly they want to know who the coach is going to be in the next couple of years. Um, I just don't understand why it's, why it's not done yet. I mean, obviously there are some things that, that need to be taken into consideration, whether it's a different assistant coach that Boudreaux may want on his staff or, or there are other things. But um, like he had mentioned in, in those interviews, it's, it's not term or money. It's, it's, it's other little things that have to be ironed out. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens um, and what details need to be figured out. But I just can't see a situation where he doesn't come back. No, I'm with you. I mean, I, I don't think we see an extension maybe, but but here's the thing. I mean, if we do see an extension all of a sudden out of nowhere, what does that say to the posture that management took in saying they're not offering an extension? Like, could they actually offer an extension after publicly slaying, saying they're not? Well, this is the most public thing ever. It's, it's, it's the management has one idea, and someone, another party has another idea of what's going on. And then there's third parties that are us that are like, okay, well, this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and that's going to happen. Then what really in the hell is going on, right? So, I mean, I think that you got to bring him in for – he's under contract for another year. I mean, it's a team option, so if you don't bring him back, you're paying someone else. And in all reality, if you don't bring back Boudreaux and you bring another coach in, are you going to bring him that coach in for another year, one year? Yeah. You're not doing that. You're giving that coach at least a two- or three-year deal. So I, I understand what's going on with Bruce Boudreau. I understand you know, how old he is and, and things like that, but it just makes sense in, in so many ways that he, made, that he deserves an extension. And the guys clearly like him, and they like playing for him, and, they like what he, and they're, they're buying whatever he's selling. And then you can tell them their play. Yes, they need to shore up some things on the blue line and change some things and, and get different players in different positions, but 
on the outset, what he did with that team in the time that he had was pretty. It was it was a pretty good job. Yeah, for me, it's uh, you know work with the guy that that clearly has had a very strong positive effect on this team, and work with him on some of the things that you think he can improve on, rather than having to bring in somebody completely new, especially when a lot of this core. Uh, really started to blossom under under Boudreaux. And I kind of wonder, you know, how much, if at all, is is that part of the conversation, as in which direction is this team going in the offseason? You know, Jim Rutherford told us flat out, if the numbers get out of whack for JT Miller, we're going to have to trade him, essentially. So you know, what what is, like, what direction is this team taking going into next year? Well, you, I think organizationally, they can't, you can't not make the playoffs. You have to be a team that is competing for a playoff spot. And yes, we're talking about it. And, you know, they had a legitimate shot at some point in this season. And yes, there was that glimmer and that hope. But in all reality, this team probably wasn't good enough to make any noise in the playoffs. Um, but they're one or two pieces away. I mean, you have a goalie that's got four years left on his contract that, you know, is an elite goalie in the National Hockey League. And he was playing, you know, at some points as a, as a Vesna candidate. Right, he he had some really good games, and you've got a young stud defenseman in in, in Quinn Hughes who's only going to get better. You've got Elias Pettersson. You you've got guys like you know Bo Horvat who had a career year. Um, you know whatever's going to happen with Brock Besser is going to happen here in, in in the next little while. But you've got some really 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 good young pieces. The emergence of Paul Colson um, this season, and and you know Tanner Pearson saying he's going to be a star in this league. You know I I think that there's definitely a lot of things to work with, but. Um, there definitely is a lot of work that needs to be done in order for this team to reach its potential. But the potential should be going and making the playoffs, competing for a playoff spot, and not sitting here and saying, listening to things and saying, oh, should we tank just to get Connor Bedard? It's not going to happen. You have these players in the prime of their careers right now, and they want to win. They don't want to sit there on the sidelines and have L's beside their team name every single night. I'll tell you that. Yeah, well, I mean, and the other part of the stuff to get figured out outside of uh, you know improving the team is who do you bring back? And a lot of that is the contract negotiations. And as much as we're talking about uh, Bo Horvat and JT Miller, as far as who actually signs first, could that be Brock Besser? Yeah, potentially. Uh, look, I think that there... I think there's been some talks right now, uh, a couple back and forth between the agent and, and the Canucks. And right now it, it's in kind of that holding pattern. You know, there, it, it, that's what a negotiation is. It's two teams talking, trying to come to an agreement of, of what they feel is right. And, you know, obviously Brock's camp's going to want something, and, and as they should, but the Canucks have a number and, and they're probably going to stick to it. Now, whether that, number's, whether that number's a little bit longer on the term and a little bit less money, or is it a little bit more money in a shorter term, remains to be seen but I think that you know when you go when you go to it there's a very good chance that you can see that Besser is the first guy to sign but that's not to say that they're not having conversations with the Horvat camp and as well with the JT Miller camp well having certainty there um, does allow you to you know kind of go farther into negotiations with with Horvat and Miller right like knowing what Brock's number is going to be and having that hammered out just kind of gives you a better sense of how much money you still have available to go through with JT and and Bo because their 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 number won't kick in until after next season. But exactly, your your long term cap picture will be a little bit more settled once you have Brock's number figured out. 
Well, absolutely. And that's, and, and that's a big thing. And I think that they're going to make some moves to create some space here as well. Like, I, I really do. You know, we saw the OEL stuff. We've been talking about it on this station. I mean, us three for, for a really long time um, about about OEL and, and, you know, what his certainty is and obviously the full no move clause and things like that. But um, I'm just not sure that you can move that contract. If you look at a guy like Tyler Myers, are they going to be able to eat some salary there to, you know, entice a team to take the rest of that, to take half of his contract and, and him off your books a little bit. So a lot of interesting maneuvers are going to happen here in the next few months or so. But the first one that's going to happen is going to be Bruce Boudreau because you're, wanna gonna ha- you're gonna wanna have to have your coach in at the draft. And I assume a lot of the teams that are looking for head coaches are going to want to have their guy in uh, before, the, uh, before the draft in July. So that'll be a big one. And then it's, the JT, it's probably JT Miller. Like you, you got to figure out what's going to happen there. And if not, is he your biggest asset to trade leading up to the draft? Right or is it Brock Besser? If you're unable to come to, if you're if, if you're unable to come to an agreement with him, um, is, is is that what's going to happen there? Well, and I think on JT specifically, I don't. Th- I, I think that they're they've pretty much come out and said they're going to make a decision one way or another, and uh, they're going to get certainty pretty quickly. I don't think it's going to take very long to figure out if there is a bridge that can be gapped with J- JT. So I don't think it's going to take necessarily two or three months to figure this out. Like the ranges the Canucks may be looking at, and the range that JT Miller may be looking at, I think it's going to be pretty obvious, right? Initially in discussions, don't you think? Like I, I don't, I don't see if if you're off by say fifteen, twenty million of total money, like you're not going to bridge that gap in, in a month. No, and <laughs> that's a lot of money to bridge. It's just not going to happen. So you have to make a decision. As to what you want to do, right? And 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 if if you're twenty million dollars off, I think if you're the Canucks, you say, okay, well, who who we're going to answer? Who, who who's calling about JT Miller right now? Mm-hmm. And then you have to go into a situation though where a lot of these teams are going to look at it and say, okay, well, we're still in the playoffs. So does this happen near the end of the playoffs or once teams start getting eliminated, right? Because you're probably not going to see anything happen here in the fir- in the in the first little bit. Or in, the, or in the next few weeks, or, or maybe even the next month, you're going to start to see it happen maybe at the tail end or right around the draft, unless there's an offer that comes in from a team that obviously is not a playoff team or, or not in the picture that you know that blows your socks off. So it's going to be an interesting time here the next month and month and a half. But yeah, like I agree with you, Sat. If they're 20 million bucks off, or even 15, or maybe even 10, mm-hmm. I think I think either side walks. Yeah, that's that's a that's a tough bridge uh, to gap and. You know the Miller one is is probably the biggest negotiation of the off season because you know and, and people are always asking us like uh, how how come Bo isn't more of a conversation and it just feels as though Horvat is likely going to be a long term Canuck like I just don't see too many other outcomes there. Well, no, I mean I, I think yes, I, I do agree with that, but I also see a situation where you know they're they're going to they're the ask for a guy like him of his age and you know the way that he's played and shown will probably be a lot as well. And what are teams willing to give up for certain type of players? Like it, it's going to be hard. And what did, and 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 what's he going to sign for? Mm-hmm. Right. So he's going to make a lot of money somewhere. And, oh, yeah. You know. Well, well, I mean, if he goes to free agency, he's signing a contract worth seven million dollars per season. Does he yeah. get that in Vancouver, though? You got to think he might. You you got to think so. You got to think that it's it's got to be around there. I mean. What's he at right now? Five and a half? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you go what? Do you go six and a half times six years for a guy well, like Horvat? Well, okay, so 
because he got paid, what was it? He signed five and a half million for six years, yeah. which was what thirty-three million bucks that he got. So yeah. you're not signing him to a contract worth less than forty million. That's just not happening. So yeah. I think the number in total money has got to be around forty million or so. And I wouldn't want yeah. to sign him to a contract with a number for AAV is seven. I I, yeah. I I wouldn't want to do that. Now, can you get that number down to six something and make it a bit more palatable? But man, once he's in at seven per year on your cap as a second line center well that's a big ticket that's why i go the nuge route on it um you know nuge ended up signing for a lower a- annual value than what he had on his second contract but because it was eight years it ends up you know uh on on a per year basis looking like a uh a downgrade but that like do you want to sign horvat for eight years i gotta say if you're giving him eight years that number better be under six on the average yeah. annual value, right? Well, didn't you say Nuge is better than Horvat? I did once say that, yes. Okay. <laughs> so, Sat, what do you think? <laughs> I, you know what? I think Nuge and Bull Horvat are like Spider-Man meme. Like, they're, they're very similar players. I agree. Different strengths, but, like, they're essentially the same guy value-wise. There isn't a lot separating those two players. No, and if you look at the numbers, too, like, no reality. Mm-hmm. And obviously, on, on the other side of things, like, they very much so are, but I'm just bugging you, Dan. Don't worry. I know. <laughs> I, I need it. I need a good bug every once in a while. Um, uh, I did have to ask you, though. You did mention uh, uh, a bit earlier about the OEL stuff. Because I know we talked about this back in January, that, hey, management talked to everybody and got a sense of, hey, what do you guys want to do? And he very much made it clear that he doesn't want to waive his no-move clause. Does that sense change at any point? And the fact that Friedman keeps bringing it up and the fact that this doesn't go away, does is is that uh, maybe being a bit too optimistic about a move happening, or do you think the reason it's kind of out there is that there may be something they can do here? Well, I think it's out there. There might be something that they're trying to do. I mean, at the end of it, he's got control, right? So it's up to OEL, unless they flat out tell him that say, okay, well, we're not going to play you. Like, I, I, other than that, you know, the, the Canucks are kind of strapped in this situation. Or say that, you know what, we, we have an offer – um, give us your list of places that you're willing to go and why are you willing to waive? And because we just don't see a future here with you, we're trying to get younger, we're trying to build some pieces around us and you make too much money. And that's not his fault. None of that is his fault. You know, he played to earn his contract and he did. And then the team that gave him the contract traded him and the, the people that acquired him clearly wanted some of his contracts, so that's why they acquired him. Um, but now, obviously, you look at the deal and for the next seven years or six years, it's... Uh, not a really good contract if you're a team that's looking to get a little bit better. And yes, OEL made strides last season. He was a lot better than he was in his last few years in Arizona, but it's a contract, right? So if you're the Canucks and economically, it just doesn't make sense. So you're going to try to do everything you can to try and A, create some cap space and B, get younger. You're probably looking at, a, you know, taking back a pretty onerous contract if you well, are. Well, 100%. But uh, if you're taking an onerous contract and a guy that can put in 25 goals. Yep. Right or or a defenseman that can play with Quinn Hughes, yeah. Then I think you you have to go and look at it that way. And you could open up a path for Jack Rathbone, as uh, we we talked earlier this week, which is may, maybe something you want to do in the future, but probably not right away. Anyhow, um, all right. Uh, what's uh, what's been your favorite series so far in these playoffs? Oh, uh, the Rangers Pittsburgh series has been fun. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like that one. I mean, obviously with Crosby and things like that, but that one's been fun. And, you know, Shesterkin and the goaltending, and, you know, he's up for the heart and things like that. And 
him, you know, those storylines of him not being made available to the media only after game two and things. It's just, it's, it's fun. I mean, the Leafs going to game seven just for anarchy would be fun. <laughs> um, the Oilers losing tonight would be amazing, as if Edmonton doesn't have enough to complain about. The, or- just, the Oilers losing would be hilarious. Oh, if the Oilers lose, I mean. <sighs> you, knew the, you knew the Flames Dallas series was going to be boring, anyways. Yep. Yeah, I know. Like, I, 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 I don't even hate that, that series. Hockey, that. Then you know what? If you're into that type of hockey, you're coaching. You're Daryl Sutter and Rick Bonus. That's who you are. <laughs> I haven't hated that series that much, to be honest, because there's been intrigue. The games have been close, and I don't mind well, yeah, you know, grudge match hockey. But, like, for instance, let's say, let's say Edmonton loses tonight. Like, I mean, do you, do you come back with Woodcroft? Do you come back with Holland? How is Connor McDavid to saying, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore? I mean, McDavid's are we close there. to getting there? McDavid's is he there? already there. Yeah. Like, but who, okay, so you obviously get more for McDavid, 100%, and then you build your team around Dreisaitl, right? JT yeah. Miller for Connor McDavid. <laughs> oh, I don't. You're going to get radioed so hard right now, and I'm going to laugh. Make, make it happen. Uh, before... well, uh, you know, and you know what series has actually been pretty sneaky good, but you don't get to see a lot of it? It's St. Louis, Minnesota. Oh, man. That... Like, the winner of that series, and then whoever plays Colorado, that team's going to the Cup. Underrated, like really fun players to watch in that series between yeah. uh, a couple of the young guys on the Blues with Cairo and and Thomas Tarasenko has always been a fun watch. Had the hat trick in the last game, and Kaprizov is just, I mean, no matter what St. Louis throws at him, the guy still finds a way to score goals. Yeah, and Vancouver's favorite goalie, uh, Jordan Bennington, has <laughs> yes finally got a win. So He's found himself again. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go, uh, where will you be September twelfth? When Russell Wilson comes back to Seattle, oh, I'll probably be there. <laughs> Monday night football at Lumen Field or what? Oh yeah, you got to think about it. I mean, obviously, you look. I think he gets cheered, obviously, when the, with the video and everything like that. But after that, like, he wanted out. Yeah, he's getting booed. He Good should, he should get booed, man. Get out of here! I'm so over Russell Wilson right now. Mr. Yeah. Unlimited. Mr. Get out of here. How about that? Denver the man brought Denver you Super Bowl. Quick. The Bronco fan base will learn. should have had two. <laughs> the, the Denver fan base will learn quick. I can't believe. I mean, Seahawks never win a Super Bowl. They win a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson, and people are, like, you know, throwing daggers at them. He brought you something you guys have never had before. Good grief. Two. Should have had two, though. Yep. He threw a dagger in the end zone to Malcolm Butler. Yep. Facts only, Sat. Facts only. Uh, you guys or, got Super Bowl and you're sitting here complaining. That's like, I've been through 0-16. <laughs> Browns break my heart every year and listen to you. Listen to Should've you. Should have won two Super Bowls. Listen to you dweebs. Uh, Dan, that, Dan, Dan's just wiping his tears because Giorgio Chiellini's leaving and coming to try and save the Whitecaps, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. It feels like the Whitecaps are just being like, look at us. We're we're important. That would have been such, That's such a Whitecap signing, though. Go and blow a ton of money on a defender. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, we need a striker. Uh, Irf, you're the best. Thanks for this. All right, guys. Be well. Ciao. Yeah, there he is, uh, Irfan Gafar. Yeah. Chiellini, is that actually happening? No. I mean, with all the MLS weird rights, too, they need his, like, discovery rights. So he's got a, he's, they got to trade with L.A. To, to get the discovery rights so then they can negotiate a contract with him. I mean, it's... It's discovery rights? Yes. I love that. Like, discovery rights on Chiellini. <laughs> yeah. As in somebody just discovered him two years ago. <laughs> hey, there's this guy. Uh, this guy's been, like, one of the best defenders in the world for, uh, like, 15 years. But we just we, discovered him. We just discovered him. 
He's our guy. <laughs> Is that can the Canucks do that with somebody uh, uh, on defense in the league? We just discovered Kale McCarr. He's ours now. No, uh, don't don't know if that works that way. We just discovered Mira Heiskanen. Yes. He, <laughs> we don't think he's rated well enough around the league, so we like him. Can they undiscover Oliver Ekman? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> or or Tyler Myers? I don't I don't know if they're allowed to do that. No, I don't think it works that way. Can you trade your? Can you undiscover your rights if you trade them away? <laughs> can we undiscover this player? Uh, all right, uh, bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. If we take a look at the games right now on the go, they are still scoreless. So you can bet them live and see if you still want to play. Either of those two, the Carolina Hurricanes and Boston Bruins. Also, the Maple Leafs and Tampa Bay Lightning. To bet on Maple Leaf fans' heartbreak right now, you will get just 166 on the money line with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Leafs are the underdog being on the road here, Sat. Yeah, they are. So the money line, 2.05. So even money on the Maple Leafs. I'm not sure how confident you are in that, though. And essentially, Carolina and Boston is a pick em, even though it is scoreless right now. So it, it comes down to who you think is going to win because you ain't getting much juice either way. I mean, I don't feel good about Toronto's chances in this series still. Until I see Vasilevsky um, lose back-to-back games, I don't worry about it too much. And as much as Toronto Maple Leafs need to win this game, because I think Game 7, they're going to be, you know... Pretty puckered up and 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 a, and, and and a bit uh you know nervous. So I think they'll they'll be ready to get bottled up in that game. So I don't know. I, I don't like Toronto's chances despite being up three two. So super stat or meaningless number. The Tampa Bay Lightning are sixteen and zero coming off a loss in their last three playoffs. That's pretty convincing. <laughs> super stat. Pretty good. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, still still goalless in that one so far. Again, bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. We'll get more into the Calgary Flames and Pittsburgh Penguins in the 5 o'clock hour. Also, who would have been on our heart ballot? Did they get it right? That's next on Canuck Central.